I'm Andrea, one of the hosts of the Voice of San Diego podcast. Every week, I get together with the other editors at Voice and explain the news that matters in San Diego. Elections, politics, law enforcement, big investigations, and some fun stuff. The great palm tree debate, ranked choice voting, bike lane mania. It's great journalism and a lot of fun. Every Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, that's Voice of San Diego. Skills Pay Bills number 12. Yeah. Here we go. And then today we're super, super honored to have yeah. with us Beryl. Beryl Foreman. Yeah. Super honored to be here too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're excited to represent. Yeah. Skills Pay Bills. Hell yeah. And, and she brought bread. Yes, we've been breaking bread. <laughs> yeah. Delicious, delicious yeah. olive bread. So thank it's you so must. much. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, this is the perfect uh, thing to do. Like you sit down with someone and then you're like, oh, we could munch. And then, you know, let them talk. You're eating. And then, yeah. So <laughs> it's awesome. I love, I've I've gotten it like a few times and I love it with like the feta cheese. God. And you, you know. have yeah. such an awesome, interesting life, Beryl. So where do we start? Because we have an hour. So how do we cover everything? Where's the best place to start at the beginning? You sent me a pretty good outline. So. <laughs> I know you where did you grow up, though? I grew up in New Jersey, right over the George Washington Bridge. Is that different than San Diego? I would say. <laughs> <laughs> One of my mottos is that I'll never go back to Jersey. Right. <laughs> no, but, um, um, yeah, I grew up in a tight-knit community. It was actually a square mile, so we got to walk to every school, so it definitely was a good foundation for, I don't know, things I admire about community as well. My uh, family, my mom and my dad's side, my grandparents, we all lived within like 45 minutes of each other. So I had a, you know, a great family upbringing as well. And living next to New York City <laughs> is not too shabby. Yeah. But ultimately, I guess right after college, I kind of knew that I did not want to start my life, my career in New York City and was kind of looking for, I don't know, a different, you know, place to uh, make good things happen. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So you ended up in Hawaii. That was, like a, that was a short stint, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right out of college, I saw something about an internship in Hawaii. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, well, yeah. who yeah. says no to that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and you're definitely like a trendsetter uh, with this Hawaiian trip. <laughs> <laughs> I do like to say that, you know, living aloha. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. It's definitely been a foundation of my upbringing. But, um, yeah, if you want <laughs> to hear that story. Um, I was there. Uh, interning in Volcano National Park, yeah, on the Big Island, and um, it was more like yeah, I was just really settled there. I had a little bunkhouse yeah. <laughs> with free meals and stuff yeah. like that, and it was really like who I met helped determine maybe if I was going to do something on the weekends. But I could also get on the bike and just explore. And of course, I was in a national park, so that was cool. But ultimately, my big takeaway from living in Hawaii was. I guess it was in 2004 that I did discover Crocs. <laughs> That's awesome. Those funky, uh, you know, light shoes. And they treated me very well. I happen to have a weak ankle, so that also resonated with me. But, yeah, it's a perfect place to really explore with Crocs. You know, rocky beaches, waterfalls. So um, 
I absolutely loved them. And then when I returned to New Jersey, um, I really actually <laughs> fell into a bit of a panic. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. Uh, but in any case, some sort of glimpse did make me realize that nobody knew what these Crocs were and there was something unique about that. So I actually started selling them in New York. That's awesome. And got picked up as a Southern California sales rep, and that's what brought me out to San Diego. That's so awesome. And who was wearing them in Hawaii? Like, was it big there, or was it just starting, or what? It really was. It's a company out of Colorado, Uh and I think they first introduced them to Hawaii, maybe some places in the Caribbean and Florida. Like, I think they were going for the ocean boat Ah. community, if you will. Yeah, and actually, I purchased them at a farmer's market, and when I decided to call the company from my parents' home in New Jersey... They're like, well, no, we only sell them to retail shops. And I was like, really? Because I bought them at a farmer's market. And they're like, all right, you sound like you know what you're talking about. We'll give you a shot. <laughs> so they probably weren't allowed to sell it to me, but I did get, like, this enormous box, and I just, like, took them to a farmer's market, and nice. it worked. It was funny. Did they think it was going to work initially in New Jersey, or did they look at you kind of like, this is a long shot? No, I think they had big hopes that their crocs were going to go everywhere, you know? Yeah. Um, and that I said something about not you know, wanting to sell them in New York. Was there Something any like resistance in the beginning with with people with Crocs of asking, like, what was it or, like, what, like... No, I really, like, it showed me that I have a knack for sales. I'll just say that much. Yeah. That I would be pretty, pretty funny because uh, I wasn't taking it too seriously, you know? And I'm in a very comfortable environment, outdoors in a farmer's market. And I would just, like, almost shock people by throwing them on the floor so that they would have to pick them up and, like, touch them and feel how light they are. That is so cool. So, actually, it was, like... Almost a blowout, I would say. So that's why, because I was doing so well with it, just a few times that I sold them, that I like visited the company um, at the convention center in New York when they were visiting. Oh, come check us out, you know, and almost kind of like did the same thing. And they're like, eh, you have a hand for this, you know, do you want to be? And it was kind of like, a, I don't know, a big position for such a young person. Yeah. And, and also I was doing well with it. So it's just like, all right, this will lead me out here, you know. It didn't last too long, but it is what brought me out to California. That's really cool. And look, now everyone's freaking wearing them. <laughs> Seriously. And I remember like when I was pregnant and, you know, my freaking ankles were like this gigantic. And I was like, I just want to wear something comfortable. No shoes fit me anymore. And I ended up going to get like these freaking Pepto-Bismol pink freaking Crocs. <laughs> and I remember my family like made fun of me so much. And they were like, why are you? This is 2011. So it was I like. I mean, like even when you're pregnant. You know? Yeah. And you're like, my Crocs match my ankles. They're gigantic. You know? So you were in LA at the time. <laughs> no, I was already down here. Oh, okay, but okay. I was like wearing these things. And everyone was like, what the fuck are you wearing? And I was like, they're really comfortable. And like everyone made fun of me. And I did too. You made fun of me. And Admittedly. <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> I, I kind of I'm late to the to the party usually, so yeah, yeah. You guys were definitely ahead of the ahead of the trend. Yeah, well, Barrow was. Barrow, <laughs> she definitely way ahead, was way way, way, ahead. Ahead. way ahead. But that's so cool because it's like now everyone's wearing it, and like there's like so many different cool like little like colors, and like now they have them in tie dye. Like my daughter has tie dye, and she has camo, and you know they have the little charms and stuff. And I feel like it is like one of those shoes where it's like you could really put personality behind it. You know, so it's like, I feel like that's where people kind of, like, gravitate to them. And they're super freaking comfortable. So, yeah, yeah. They moved you out to San Diego, Crocs? Uh, financially, support did not come through. No, <laughs> it was more like me trying out. But, um, no, they actually moved to L.A. because it was, like, center of 
not really, but I had to cover Southern California. So initially I moved to LA, I was in Hermosa Beach and I was driving up and down, like visiting a lot of the beach communities. And then my house sold within like three or four months mm -hmm. that I was renting. So I was like, all right. And I had been hearing good things about San Diego. I hadn't even visited it yet. This is part of my territory. So I came down here with a little bit more notion of where I wanted to live. You know, I kind of got the sense that the beach communities are just overpopulated, mm -hmm. you know, with young kids. And I don't know, the downtown scene's a little too much of a party. Yeah. So I, more, I felt like I chose more wisely in moving here. More so maybe that I didn't get burnt out in the long term. And um, I remember, like, looking at Craigslist and... See, someone emphasized, oh, Golden Hill. You got to live in Golden Hill. <laughs> and I probably looked at a map and saw I was right next to downtown in Balboa Park. Yeah. And so I've been here for 17 years now. Wow. That's in awesome. Hill. In Golden Hill. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh, super cool. Yeah. Golden Hill is a very, very beautiful place to live. You know, like I feel like that place is like there's a lot of family, but then there's also all those little like kind of shops and stuff like that. And it's close enough to like downtown. It's close enough to the park. It's It's very central. So... Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Has Beautiful it made place to stroll, historic. Yeah. Has there been any changes in Golden Hill since you moved there? I used to say that I live equidistant to two great coffee shops. Now I live equidistant to three. There you go. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, actually, in general, because my background with the business association, I like that it's not such a scene, you know, and that I'm going yeah. home to a quieter community. Um, but that, yeah, actually, even with the limitation of a handful of businesses that it seems like everybody's always done well. And I, always, I joke that Golden Hill is a golden opportunity. Yeah. But the, yeah. also the larger scheme of things of it being part of South Park and next mm -hmm. to Barrio Logan, you know, I feel like we're all one. Yeah. yeah. And how long after you moved to San Diego did it take for you to kind of get involved with improving businesses and just kind of get more involved with improving just the, the city around you? Because The you were urban kind of, planning. Yeah. yeah. How did that, how did that, how did that occur? Um, as I said, <laughs> the Crocs thing didn't last too long, actually, within the first month, January <laughs> of 2005 that I moved here. Um, I went to their convention, signed up Bloomingdale's, I got to mention it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Walked out of the convention center and my boss called me and he's like, you've been terminated. <laughs> after the Bloomingdale's? Yes, after the whole wow. convention, exactly. So it was kind of a joke. I think they just wanted to pass, get me hyping it up and then like, I don't know, probably take... They didn't need, probably need sales reps. So in any case, I sort of fell flat, flat on my feet again, having just moved into a new apartment, a new yeah. city, you know, stuff like that. And um, But this time I felt that um, at least I, I've already sort of seen where I where I have talents and skills. And <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but also I wasn't going to start just selling another product. I didn't really see sales in my future. Mm -hmm. And I was particularly intrigued by living in Golden Hill and seeing so much downtown redevelopment. Like, it didn't occur to me that cities rebuild themselves. I'm like, what is that, you know? Yeah. So I guess it just had me thinking about urban planning. I do have a family member who's an urban planner, so, you know, I'm somewhat familiar with the career. And um, I thought, yeah, going back to school and just dabbling in this new subject would be good for me. So I did start attending... Um, like the urban planning, I got an urban planning certificate from UCSD. Thanks. And at the time, I uh, just started volunteering with the Golden Hill nonprofit at the time. And, um, you know, I liked it. I liked the subject. I was actually doing research. I kind of joked about the cafes, but it did turn me on to, um, it was the first time I, like, used cafes to, for the internet. 
and like job searching yeah. and yeah. Na, na, na. and yeah. also being in new community meeting the meeting people there and you know bonding with the baristas and blah 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 that was new to me so i did actually like take up research on how like wi-fi supports community building anyway um some woman who was working for the CDC at the time when I did apply for the Oklahoma Boulevard Business Association, she recommended me, and that was that. That was my start. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Because you've been a huge part of, like, that whole Oklahoma Boulevard, like, movement, right? I was there for 15 years. <laughs> I just parted ways, like, last Ju July. Wow. Yeah. That's but, yeah, awesome. it was kind of like as, um, as opposed to this, you know, interest that sparked in looking at downtown and redevelopments, which all in all has not really been um, that worthy. I was happy that I did end up moving over to, you know, a historic community that's diverse, where there is a greater need, where there was a lot to learn about small business and, you know, other um, groups that we partnered with. So that's definitely what rooted me there for a very long time is that it, it is just, you know, many layers of interest. And nice. what year was it exactly when you started with El Cajon, the El Cajon bid there? Mm, well, it was 15 years. <laughs> wow. Wow. Was it 2006? Wow. Yeah. yeah. And what was it like then? Because that's even before we moved to San Diego. So what was it? El Cajon Boulevard? El Cajon Boulevard. Mm, well, I... Um, I remember my president at the time said the Lafayette Hotel, that's the gem of El Cajon Boulevard, you mm -hmm. know, so of course they're pointing out the good things, right? And I felt like that was actually my role is to be a positive voice of the community. Mm -hmm. Also at the time I was immediately plugged into El Cajon Boulevard um, being part of the designation of all of California Historic Highway 80. So El Cajon Boulevard is actually the last leg, I like sharing this, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. of Highway 80, which is the first transcontinental highway from Georgia all the way to San Diego. Oh, wow. So I took a lot of pride in that history, and I'm realizing, I'm like, I'm learning more about El Cajon Boulevard than I am in my, my hometown, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I guess that's <laughs> what you do when you have a job supporting right? community. Yeah. And... Um, Yes, there was the obvious, like, that prostitution was very present there and the negative perception. So I guess just being young and innocent, I just really went about it, like, as best I could. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, took it for what it was in terms of uh, it was a business association. I'm going to honor the small businesses. And another thing I was asked to do, I didn't really have much of a scope of work, I'll just say that much. So that's another thing that's really allowed me to be there for a long time is that they honored my ideas and like let me flourish in my own directions. But one um, very simple task was that I should interview the businesses and write articles about them. And so even like unknowingly, I became a community organizer, you know, interviewing people finding their, their stories, and then over time, just sort of linking people's interests into scoping what would be an event that would work, or what would be some overall promotion, nah, nah, nah. and really, you know, what are some long-term goals, so just um, those one-on-ones. Was that pre-social media, too? When you were writing these articles, or was it right around the time that that was happening? <laughs> it was funny. My co I remember I was like, well, should we start posting it on MySpace? And they're like, uh-uh. <laughs> we cannot do MySpace. <laughs> then Facebook came along. Okay, you can do Facebook. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, what's the difference? <laughs> but it, it, there was. You know, it's funny to think about what those differences were. As well, <laughs> the Yelp. <laughs> I yeah. remember yeah. Right, I was putting all my uh, articles that I wrote about the businesses on Yelp and giving them five stars. <laughs> and it was getting a lot of reception from people because I wrote in-depth articles, you know. 
But then at some point, Yelp was like, you're giving five stars to everybody. You're, you know, you must be doing something wrong. And I was like, Oklahoma Boulevard's a five star establishment. Exactly. What do you do about that? So I got kicked off of you. All right, yeah. So yeah, we had embraced what was available. Cool. At some point, I just couldn't go too deep. And really, one of my um, separations or... Yeah, things that this taste of the Boulevard is that like I I didn't start as a marketing coordinator, but I really got in there because of uh, my interest in urban planning. And they opened that door, and I was sitting on committee meetings and driving conversation about mobility and such like that. But it was still always so heavy on the marketing, you know. And I really wanted to let go of that. And you know, things navigated, but it was just like the vents built up and na na na. And it's it's kind of not what I signed up for, you know. I really wanted yeah. to pursue urban planning. But the marketing, nice. I guess, maybe helped um, gain trust with the businesses and stuff like that? Or Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, marketing first. Marketing is easy. That's where actually I coined the word place shaking. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. uh, that, you you know, you highlight the positive things. Mm-hmm. You post yeah. events. You know, you draw attention. Because for so long, nothing had been said about the boulevard except for that, the prostitution, this and that. You know, that, all right, so we got to flip things up, you know. Yeah. Dude, that's freaking awesome. I really, like... I know that uh, there was like that article that basically talked about like you in the urban planning, how you got involved with all that kind of stuff. And there was two other people that you were working with. I'm totally spacing out with about their names. But the cool thing about it was that you were like, we don't like we're not like holding like these titles. We're just getting things done. You know, and because I know that you were like, oh, this is my title and this is their title and this is whatever. Yeah. And it's like you were like, we're not even like putting that. We're just trying to get things done, you know, and I feel like that. H- how did that go about? Was that easier for you to just be like, let's just get some stuff done? Because I know like when there's a lot of stuff happening, it's like it's really difficult to like start moving forward and doing all that. Was it easier for you to just be like, let's just move and get shit done as opposed to like let's sit here and that's your role that's your role you know like yeah that's where you know I said they gave me so little to do in the beginning so that I had to start developing activities and I remember somebody said like put on events or do things that you would like to do yeah yeah so that was part of it too I'm having fun while doing you know your work in the community should be fun yeah um so for example like bike the boulevard took place quarterly for five years nice and that was I feel during a time where San Diego is very much um there was a lot of community about around bike riding you Mm -hmm. know yes and people really wanted to attend these community rides and I do think they did open the doors for like realizing um you know how close we are to our communities and wanting to pop in on local breweries and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Oklahoma Boulevard, I, I joke, because, yeah, it's not an ideal place to bike. <laughs> yeah. Although we now have a bike lane. Nice. Yeah. Um, but that when you show them good locations, music venues, na, 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 I mean, we would stop and play kickball, you know, yeah. that we'd have a good day mm-hmm. and that would resonate. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm never, you know, and even doing community work, you know, you're really propping up the cause, Um it's not about you, you know, speaking mm-hmm. in front of the microphone yeah. and mm-hmm. saying yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. That's freaking awesome. Was it always called the Boulevard or was that something that was presented with that the huge, you know, iconic sign that we now see when we when we go down there? That's one of the first things we saw when we moved to San yeah. Diego was the Boulevard sign. It really sign. is yeah. a beautiful sign. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is a iconic, really, really beautiful I, sign. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that gives me a lot of pride. Turning that corner on park and seeing it all there. You're like, it's beautiful. <laughs> You're like, I did that. No, <laughs> I did not, actually. Um, so, yeah, it was another thing that, you know, I mentioned this before that I have... Um, 
I'm ha- I liked working for an organization that had some sustainability behind mm-hmm. it, and it had started, I think, in 1989. Nice. So maybe it was already around for like 20 years before I got going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they did make some big moves, and it was focused around, um, you know, utilizing design and um, some urban planning tactics. So mm-hmm. I was working with an organization that actually had a unique scope of work, unlike some of them that were very tailored towards, you know, large-scale events a few times a year. So, um, yeah, one of the major projects that got this initiative off the ground, and I'll attack my former boss with this, it was almost like when the business associations were getting started, it, um, it came out of a community plan where I was like, all right, we need to support our local neighborhoods. And this is like during, you know, white flight and very few local businesses in each community and boarded it up windows, you know, still like music venues in general. They, yeah. You don't really see inside or those kind of dive bar qualities. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, what came out of that was the these organizations, business associations. All right. Now we'll be like these semi um, connected to the, the city, but also our own nonprofit. And so... That's how they organize. So it's like primarily just about the business corridor represented by the business owners. And it was going to be like each one micromanaging the group versus like the city thinking they can tackle, you know, which they couldn't. So Mm -hmm. it was a good move. Um, And so the Boulevard was one of the first organizations to get off the ground. And then they decided that they needed this big gateway sign. And so I understand that there was this discussion, what should it say? You should it say El Cajon Boulevard. Certainly not El Cajon. Right. <laughs> that was yeah. one tip we yeah, all true. have because we don't want to be associated with the city, you know, 20 miles east. Mm-hmm. And um, they brought in this designer, Simon Andrews, who I'm still in touch with today, yeah. sweet old man. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, um, he, his firm did design it, and I think they, they were really feeling strong about the boulevard, and they, like, talked it over with the... Um, the council member at the time, and maybe there was some confusion. Like, well, if you don't make this decision tonight, the money's going to go elsewhere, you know? And so it did. And so it was installed, and that was that. And that was like almost, while it does have that retro appeal that feels like it could have been there for many more decades, yeah. it was you know, sort of a statement that said more to come, you know? And now, honestly, if you look at the West End of El Cajon Boulevard, where that sign is and the Lafayette Hotel, it still holds yeah. its historic charm, but the new development and stuff like that is very welcomed and... The new businesses certainly too. And around what year did it did it go up? Probably eighty nine, ninety, something like that. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. wow! Wow! And there's signs all throughout, you know, San Diego with the neighborhoods and everything. Did they all go up around the same time, or was it all at different times? You know. Yeah, I think it probably set the trend. As I said, like because there's a good network of say fifteen business associations in San Diego, they all kind of mimic each other's work. Oh, somebody got a good sign. We need the good sign. You know, exactly. Barry Logan got their yeah. sign not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the direction of grants is like, there's definitely like this low hanging fruit of grants that exist um, anywhere. And it's like, all right, you got that CDBG grant for the sign? Cool. I'm going to go after it, you know? Yeah. So they just know where the funding source is. Mm-hmm. They navigate it. I mean, some things take longer than others, but ultimately those were the kind of the big moves in the early days was that they got the sign, they got the landscape median, they put up these light poles, mm-hmm. you know, started, um, they say like public investment leads to private investment. Wow, that's awesome. And then the bid that you work for, too, there was like something like 800 businesses well, involved with it. More than a thousand. <laughs> you so just read my mind. <laughs> okay, that's great. Yeah, go, go. I was you like, finish, wow, you wow. Go, 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 go. No, yeah, how did you, because it's like we've been doing like walk the block and all that kind of stuff, and it's like it's really difficult to kind of get people like involved. So just reading that, I was like, 
that's freaking badass. Like, how did that, like, how did you get, like, because I know you had even mentioned you're like, it's really hard to, like, know all of them. But it was like, it, it's really awesome that you got to highlight a lot of these businesses. How did that go about? Like, how did you, um, like, get all of these people, like, basically, like, involved in something? Nah. Well, um, it would just, it, it depended on, like, what type of promotional direction we were taking. What, but it was really all about how we could include the businesses. And yeah. as I said, by uh, interviewing them and building relationships with people over time, you know, I kind of started dialing on what approaches, what strategies would be best for uh, marketing. And so, yeah, that led to, um, yeah, Bike the Boulevard definitely did span the whole district. Yeah. And we would include different businesses, but I always hold on to some of the same ones as well. Um, and then, uh, like, around 30th and Alcohol Boulevard, which yeah. became somewhat of a hot spot, you know, sort of uh, building off of... Um, how business was, you know, uh, booming in North Park. Alcohol Boulevard now had its own, like, little hub called 30, we called it 30 ECB, and it was definitely filling out nicely. Um, just for example, it's always nice when, like, a large building gets separated into smaller spaces. I think you guys have that as an advantage here, that there's a lot of small spaces. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an easy way to, you know, get small businesses off the ground mm -hmm. uh, so that this, like, larger um, piano store that went out of business was then subdivided into four. And like the Media Arts Center already moved into that block and then a coffee shop and then followed this, the home brewer, you know. So all of a sudden this block really, they kind of moved in at the same time uh, and they became friendly together and they, you know, on their own started uh, collaborating. And we just helped build on, you know, what was already working. And then there was, you know, talk about, I guess also, me visiting other cities and getting inspired, I definitely seen more like, instead of the farmer's market that is more about produce, but then also little, little of everything, like the food-based markets, you know? So I thought, oh, okay, we could move on that, you know? And that was like well-received by this new, um, so much higher design strip mall <laughs> uh, um, on Utah and Alcohol Boulevard. So those new tenants really took to that idea. So we hosted that there and that was, the boulevard market so that was somewhat of a 30 ecb thing and then there's like all right but we got to move the energy east you know let's not forget about city heights no 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 and um you know we had as an organization we're carrying out the work and the capacity for the boulevard market but when um this well this lot was uh, vacant for a number of years but the ymca was just built on fairmont all right i think there's there'd be interest, you know, now that that hub is uh, building up mm -hmm. to go ahead and activate that lot and, you know, see where that takes us and also really do that in collaboration with other uh, community groups. One, because we were kind of out of capacity, but also because I, I think we'd make a better name for it if we, like, asked the property owner together, you know, and we worked on it together. And that was really our <laughs> what we were supposed to be doing. So anyway, that is how Fair at 44 came about. Yeah. Nice. And then I think we started shaping it as, like, most districts aren't just one long strip. And in fact, actually, we were two separate bids at one time, but we were asked to like join because one of the boards wasn't working out. So it is unusual that we did take on like four or five miles of a business district. And it's also very uniquely multicultural and diverse. I mean, there's yes. so much. So how you're dealing with different cultures, you're dealing with all that. How do you also kind of bring everyone together under one tent? Well, that was like the hub strategy. 
So 30th and El Cajon Boulevard, 30 ECB is a hub. The Lafayette Hotel is a hub. Now Fairmont's a hub. Actually, from early on, it's something I really think of. You know, personal interest in was like how I navigated supporting the little Saigon district. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, because that wasn't always there, right? It wasn't always called, was it always called the Little Saigon District? Or how, what's the history behind that? Well, Vietnamese moved here, Vietnamese people moved here post the war. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they were probably an early example of people settling in City Heights because one, it was fairly inexpensive, but also there was a lot of host nonprofits that helped people settle into the United States. Mm-hmm. So that's why there was like a pretty large uh, Vietnamese community in City Heights, and, you know, with sort of limited choices, it's no wonder that they set up a lot of businesses. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. actually, it had been there for a very long time. So uh, before I worked for the Boulevard, they actually had celebrated some, like, festival, New Year te- festivals. And, um, and, and then there was this group, uh, it's kind of this transition from um, SDSU, Vietnamese, you know, organization that kind of grew in, up and wanted to... S- Started a nonprofit and felt that this was the direction they wanted to take. So they brought it to our organization and said something. You know, we want to start a little Saigon district on El Cajon Boulevard. Do you want to support this? We're like, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Uh, so then, more or less, you know, I always would have liked that a Vietnamese person sat in our office and was there to navigate, but mm-hmm. I was the person. So yeah. that that's something that just I took on that scope of work and um, yeah, you know, helped them navigate different projects early on, such as banners and putting on events, um, and continued that all along. I mean, it led to a point where we actually got, what is it, the commission, not commission for arts and culture, but uh, a national arts grant to support, like, Saigon Stories. I mean, it really is a very, you know, uh, moving story about the settlement of the Vietnamese community here. And um, I don't think, one, that people see that perspective mm-hmm. when you talk about the Vietnam War, but actually that there are, you know, millions of Vietnamese people living in the United States mm-hmm. and they're very happy that they have democracy and freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to honor that and showcase that more contemporary, uh, you know, segment of diversity in San Diego. Yeah, that's freaking awesome. I love that. You also had mentioned that um, in one of the articles that I read, because we kind of stalked you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's our research. Our research. Yeah, yeah. We're job. like, wow. <laughs> I'm like, Maddie should be a freaking like a private investigator. Right. Or something. <laughs> Anytime I need like help, like, can you look up this person? I can't find them. He's like, what is the first and last name? It's called Google, <laughs> babe. Come on. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it. So I'm like, please. Interwebs. <laughs> yeah. Interwebs, yes, yes. He like does like a deep dive no but and you got it in order too. Right? yeah 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 i was like wow okay but it's like i know that you had mentioned that like one of like the like most fun things to do like being on like you know the the urban developing and all that kind of stuff was the food like tasting all the food like how was that like because there's so many different cultures and all that kind of stuff how was that like getting to try all these different types yeah. of food I mean, still my favorite restaurants, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Oklahoma Boulevard yeah. and name drop. And um, <laughs> actually, it's really the grocery stores that I love more than anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because yeah, it's like tout what you like. That's yeah. it. And I guess that just came naturally. But also, I will say early on, some writer in the Union Tribune described Oklahoma Boulevard as the foodie Appalachian Trail. I'm like, that is, I don't know. I feel like I don't need to do my job. It's already Done. in the headline. Yeah. You know, that we are the yeah, place yeah. for awesome, diverse food. So that just, again, became the strategy. Like, you know, you're you're seeing it, you're hearing it. Let's tout food. 
Yeah. yeah. And that was something I wanted to do. So, yeah, we hosted, like, the Boulevard cooking class. Uh, one of my friends who loves food, she, like, did a little blog. So we went out with her and, you know, like, uh, Boulevard on a budget, I think, was how it went. Um, we did actually put together some food walking tours around Mexican food, around Vietnamese food. I think we did a vegan one. So it's wow. just like, like I said, you're there for a long time. You continue to uh, navigate fun opportunities on how to go about. Uh, actually, just before COVID, this was going to be big. <laughs> uh, we were going to do... Um, it was more about the launch of the 215 bus route and getting that pilot bus bike lane on Oklahoma Boulevard mm -hmm. that we wanted to promote it through food. So wow. they were we, we had some exchange going where we were actually going to get like um, advertisements on the back of the buses and the bus benches to promote like the Boulevard food tours, I think is what nice. we were calling it. And that I had arranged all this where like the... Um, so for each, like the Vietnamese one or... The beer one, you know, we had some tour guy that was going to meet somebody on the West End, get on the bus. We were going to sell the tickets and take them up and down. Yeah. Wow, nice. that's awesome. Was that's that didn't work pan out, unfortunately. People stopped going on buses. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And how, I guess, how did the pandemic affect the boulevard? It that Well, like, we had just launched the boulevard um, pilot bus bike lane. Uh, there actually like just two weeks before there was a lot of momentum because we just hosted like this developers tour uh, things I mean there was a lot of collaboration around Ferret 44 around Little Saigon more or less all came to a halt you know so we had a lot of programs going and um, ultimately I guess I started hearing like that uh some of the bids were almost like folding. <laughs> I don't know. Because they'd wow. have their events or something like that. And maybe the city was actually going to take our money, which was really, uh, <laughs> really bad choice. It's like that our, you know, our underlying mission is to support the business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah. while, um, you know, that would take away more or less a lot of my event programming and economic development program, that's all right. Because this is when they need us the most. Exactly. You know, and that's kind of where I go back to like, do places that affluent neighborhoods really need bids, you know? Um, but, yeah, right? It was just obvious that uh, we needed to navigate and be that supportive role to the small businesses, and that was ma our main charge. So whether, you know, there's so many grants coming out, like always be, uh, being a source of information for that, you know? I'd go out of my way to text, call, no, 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 everything to make sure these businesses were getting their grants. And um, and then we actually set up like collaboratively a local source of funding. So um, yeah, we just needed to be there for the businesses at the time. We also because we had these like outdoor lots. One fun thing that we took on was um, giving out food, and then we more or less realized, oh, we could be a resource to a lot more because there's a lot of need. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, there was like sure. a diaper drive. Uh, then there became a food drive that was going strong for like at least a year and a half, serving 150 people, you know, line outside of Ferret 44. And this fruit swap thing and receiving free food from people in the community who have, you know, uh, fruit falling off their trees. and brought, So just, uh, and then, yeah, the social media and um, just responding and sharing the needs of the businesses. And I think people were really receptive at the time to wanting to support local. So you better put it in front of their face what they mm -hmm. should be supporting, you know? And so, yeah, during that time, even though I would say, um, 
you know, I was starting to think about navigating. I really was like, no. And you know, honestly, I was about to go to Oaxaca. Uh, and I was thinking, well, I could just go and stay there for a couple of months. I'm like, no. <laughs> the time is now. We're mm-hmm. here for the businesses. Yeah. That's who I support. Yeah. 100%. Dude, that's awesome. That's beautiful because it's like I do feel that a lot of the businesses really needed that support. So it's like you just being that type of person that was like calling and being like, you should freaking like get this grant. You should do this. You should do that. Like I remember during um, a time for us here, it's like we didn't have that, you know, so it was like really difficult to kind of like a small as a small business owner kind of like going through that and like. I remember there would be, like, nights where I would, like, cry and be like, I'm going to lose my business over something I didn't even have, like, control over. And, you know, that, like, anxiety of, like, where are these people that are supposed to, like, help us, you know? And where, like, or someone that you trust that can, like, bring, like, some kind of information to where you're, you could feel comfortable enough and being like, hey, like, what do I need and how could I, and there's like no judgments and like, well, your business sucks or whatever, you know? And Where was our barrel in here? Exactly. <laughs> and, exactly. Yeah. 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 So it's like, it was kind of like very scary at that time. And you know, uh, the good thing is that like, finally the Logan Heights CDC started coming through and they were like knocking on every door yeah. and then just being like, if you need help, like, we will, like, help you do it. And, like, you know, and them just kind of, like, coming out and doing all that kind of stuff, like, really, like, uh, created a relationship where it's, like, we started, like, this whole, like, trust thing. So it's, like, I feel like, like, you were definitely, like, an angel in that, you know, because it's, like, I know that as, like, a small business, like, we were all kind of, like, oh, shit, like, what's going to happen? And, like, we've invested so much time and energy and, like, business and, like, business isn't like one of those things where you're like we're banking we're millionaires you know it's like you're exactly it's like a passion months and that's it yeah Mm -hmm. it's like a passion Mm -hmm. project or you know you 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 just love it so much and you know and and it felt really scary so it's like you being like that person is like very admirable to like you know just to be sitting here with you because it's like you don't see a lot of people like that you don't meet a lot of people that are willing to go that extra mile you know so yeah. Well, I, you know, I had the position right now. Yeah. Not like I wasn't being paid for it, but ultimately I knew what my role was and I just had, yeah. I had something to do, to do, you know, and now I'm yeah. working from home, you know, and it's like, do something with your, you know, position at hand, just like yeah. I always have, but yeah. in a new way, you know, yeah. but I will say that's actually when I, um, got to know you and saw yeah. that Union Tribune article of you yeah. sewing face masks. Yeah. And I think that led to us probably also realizing, all right, you know, the desire is there to, um, produce a lot of masks and work with the community. Yeah. And we did, I don't know if you caught this, but we hosted like a face mask fashion show. No <laughs> Shut way. up. That's so cool. <laughs> and that was another showcase of diversity, like working with IRC who has, um, you know, like East African clients and yeah. diverse clients in general, but working with like a lot of clothing designers nice. and then, um, <laughs> yeah, was, I mean, like matching. I was all about the matching outfits plus yes. the masks. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We had like a catwalk for that twice. That is so cool. <laughs> I love that. Well, you know what? It was so crazy because it's like the way that I like basically um, started kind of like noticing like you was a lot of people were like, oh my God, bread. And I was like, what and like i love who doesn't love bread you know and so (laughs) exactly so i was like wait bread and then like someone had like showed like this beautiful like piece of bread and like you know like all the little like sides that you do and i was like fuck 
And like, it was like during that time where everyone's like, support your makers, support your small businesses. And, and you're like, oh my God, this person is like, and so someone had tagged you and I was like, that looks like fucking bomb ass bread. And like, you know what? Everyone was like, like, you got to support this, you know? And so I was like, I have to follow this person, you know? So I started following There was following that him. awesome yeah. surge also. Was. You know yeah, what I feel like? Yeah. Not just like my bread, but like in general, like it was always a good idea to support small businesses. Always yes. a good idea mm-hmm. to have outdoor seating and parkland. You know, yes. finally it came much like a greater need for it. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. So I started noticing you, and I was like, damn, how do you bake bread? You know, because I, can like, I, can't, I can't fucking bake shit. Like, you know, and it, I feel like that's like definitely like a science, and it's like, yeah, you're right. For skill. me, I'm like, it's, it's a skill, you know, and so for me, I'm like, I've done like banana nut bread, and I'm like, and, and I felt like I was like, wow, I'm doing really good with this. And then I totally burned all of them. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to stick to my sewing. <laughs> but how did how did this whole bread thing, like, start to happen? Like, Well, I hadn't been making bread for actually a very long time. Yeah. Um, how often something. do you do it? Uh, prior to selling it, I yeah. was baking, like, every other Sunday, two loaves. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So something, I, I picked up a bread book a long time ago, actually, when I first moved to San Diego. And bread, I guess, always spoke to me. I like yeah. enjoying good bread, you know. And uh, while I actually, I like to cook, but I more lean toward just, like, coming up with a dinner plan. I'm yeah. not really invested in, like, you know, um, dishes that take a while to bake. Uh, I just thought, all right, you know, I wouldn't mind trying this out. And it was funny. I picked up the book. I, I immediately went to Sprouts at the time. Oh, Henry's, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was about to buy the ingredients for olive bread because yeah. that's my favorite bread. And I saw something of a, s- a starter. I'm like, I knew enough to be like, why doesn't this recipe have yeast? <laughs> and so uh, I looked to the front of the book where I was like, well, this is how you go about making bread. You have to get your starter going. And then... So anyway, I just I, all right. I'm, that's really where like it clicked with me science too. Something I've like really have not invested my mind towards, yeah. but like I made this starter, which really is about like collecting molecules from the air, and it's a natural form of how bread rises. And so you know it worked. I baked the bread. It was actually really good. I was surprised because most people are like, what kind of oven do you use? You know, but a con- normal homemade you know house oven will work. It's more about the process and the you know quality of the ingredients that you put into it. And um, I guess once I start made it and it was great, I didn't want to either disrespect the starter that I developed. So it just got me into this nice routine. And, you know, I would host like brunches pretty regularly yeah. with my homemade bread on Sundays. And I loved gifting it. And my parents expected me, you know, <laughs> to fly home with it. So eh, over the years, people would say, oh, you really should sell it, you know. But it didn't uh, have a job, you know. And it didn't occur to me that like I could scale it because, you know, when you buy a little bag, it, it, the prices just don't work. Um, so anyway, it was just during, yeah, the pandemic and working from home. And I think all of us are being very like more, um, aware, uh, that our food resources, you know, yeah. could be scarce. Mm-hmm. So you better take what you can get. And so I was kind of like jokingly bartering my bread and people were taking to that. And then, um, I guess maybe if, if a friend or something like that actually bought me a, a bag of flour from restaurant depot. And so that kind of showed me the scale wow. that I could nice. move towards. Um, and I didn't mind baking more than once every other week, you know? I was yeah. home, so why not? 
And uh, yeah, it just like there was that surge of interest uh, early on through COVID that people were buying my bread and it was fun. I would actually bring it to our fruit swap on Wednesdays at Fair 44. Mm -hmm. So the exchange would happen um, outdoors. And then it's like, while most people like went into this isolation and not talking to people, here I am, I've got bread customers, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. it was a joy to like be a, be there for people when they felt that they needed, you know, that resource and also to have uh, the social time with people. And so, I, yeah, I just didn't want to let go of that. And I saw how things were going. So ultimately, you know, it's like when business is going well, you look to expand it. So that's yeah. where I brought in a couple of other sides. And um, I actually... I've always said that good bread deserves good olive oil. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had only maybe in the last few years discovered that like all of California and Baja produces extremely good olive oil. So I wanted to bring that into the fold as a way of like, you know, educating people, not only on like what quality, you know, slow rise bread uh, tastes like, but also that we have very good regional olive oil. and then that became like a key component of everything that, you know, like my homemade Jimmy Cherry, na na na. Um, you know, pop ups. Everything yes. in the first year was like really fun and easy. Then I more had to take on like some more strategy around it to keep it going. But um, I've definitely found that Cafe Moto once a month. Nice. Yes. And like keeping things super local and it's like where I know people. Um, is just working out. My husband actually worked at Cafe Moto for a number of years, nice. so that's why I was like well cool. received there. Cool. And um, at the same time, you know, I've been in San Diego a long time. I know a lot of nonprofits, and I've uh, had a good relationship with Via Internacional, who is the first um, tenant of Bread and Salt when they reopened. And I know that they've always had an interest in opening a bakery with the yes. owners. Yes. So. Um, yeah, Elisa and I reconnected. She's the director of VIA. And I think I even, I, I popped up at Bread and Salt a few times with El Callejon. And I think I, I just joked to the owners one day. I'm like, because I sell the starter. I'm like, this starter could quite literally start your bakery, you know? <laughs> and, um, and then I just, it was kind of like a personal thing. Like, I'm not going to really, like, I wouldn't, no, I don't want to be a restaurateur. Um, but also, my olive bread alone is not, you know, uh, uh, enough to support, like, the word of bakery. Um, and it would be nice to link up with other bakers and have a more full menu. And it's like, I saw the opportunity um, and sort of blessing that comes with working at home and uh, the money coming through. And I'm like, this is a good... Um, business, you know, platform for others, mm -hmm. you know, if they haven't uh, moved in that direction, it could be something that's very supportive. So uh, that's where I was like, yeah, a bunch of home-based bakers then showcasing their goods together is sort of what I had in mind. And then also, yeah, just like my feelings of co um, collaboration have always been there. So um, VIA was very receptive to the idea. They Basically, they were in the Union Tribune a few years ago, or maybe five or so years ago, stout, like touting that they were going to open this bakery with the owners of Bread and Salt, and it was going to call, be called Pani Sal. And that just didn't take off. The, the investors didn't come through. So and I like I knew those people, so the interest was always there. Like I sell bread, I sell salt. I want to <laughs> yeah, 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 be yeah. part of this group. Uh, and she said, yeah, uh, like when they were doing some research, some uh, one of their interns actually recommended, why don't you just start selling some bread in the community? Like you don't need to build out a full bakery first, mm -hmm. you know. 
um, see where the direction of the business goes just by keeping it easy. So I was like building on that. Yeah, why don't we bring a couple of bakers together and just do a, some pop-ups? Yeah. yeah. And uh, she gave me the okay and like this, um, you know, the owners of Bread and Salt were receptive of it. And then when I connected with Carmen from Mujeres, she's yeah. like, absolutely, I'd love to host you here. And it's at Bread and Salt, you yeah. know? Beautiful. So, all right, I made some phone calls. I never even knew. I hadn't connected with Amanda from Pondo Barrio, but I knew she was here. I'm like, well, she yeah. needs to be part of this or yeah. else I can't even like feel like, feel like I could move forward. Yeah. And then uh, someone, other group pointed out this like nonprofit called Bread Encounters. So we had a little collective. Nice. And then I hopped over to this, if you know, Olivewood in National City. They've been training like kitchenistas and offer health programming for maybe hey, 20 years or so. Super cool. Anyway, so I went there and sold my bread and connected with a couple of other people that fit into their bakers. And so now our collective is like six or so bakers. Nice. We did do four pop-ups at the end of the year at uh, Mujeres. You know, more or less they did go well. We felt, we were kind of like scared about keeping that going in January Mm -hmm. uh, it's cold, you know, it was evening time. Yeah. We just thought like, all right, we did pull it off. Now we know each other. Let's start like planning our future, you yeah. know, actually de developing a mission statement and what our vision is. Because um, like I held the vision and I heard from other people that they had the shared vision, but yeah. no, I want to like make it firm, you know, exactly. and VO is behind that. And then uh, funding actually came through to support um, like promotion and branding and, um, and some equipment that hopefully <laughs> we'll nail down very quickly, but we might get like this trailer that has our brand on it and do more pop-ups. Um, so anyway, like those kind of quick steps, like getting money that really supports this vision, you know, people realizing this could be a real thing. Everybody was quite, in I feel interested in the idea because it was bread and salt. Yes. And because we had this backing of a nonprofit that was bringing in money, you know? So things are like moving kind of swiftly. We have a solid group. Uh, we did agree on Panipas Collective, nice. which I'm really proud of the name. And um, I don't know, there's a good chance we could get funding for the commercial kitchen, which if that happens, like That's it's awesome. on. And what is that the is grand awesome. vision moving forward if you do secure funding? That we would be like a collective, maybe legal cooperative mm -hmm. of uh, bakers that establish a spot in bread and salt. Beautiful. And then um, we do have this nonprofit, actually two behind us. So we have somewhat mission-driven programming ideas, mm -hmm. education. Actually, I'm really loving this one where we would um, expand sort of like the, the this it's called the border church. It happens every Sunday at the border, mm -hmm. maybe breaking bread at the border. So these are like offshoot programs that we could so get funding cool. for Beautiful. as well. But more or less, yeah, being a stable bakery in Barrio Logan. Awesome. That's freaking awesome. Dude, that's, I'm freaking proud of you guys. Look at you guys. I, know, I I'm talk like, about things awesome. and I'm like, and there could be a bakery. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I need to fucking step up my fucking game. Yeah, I'm right. like, dude, I'm like, you're doing a lot of stuff. I'm like, I'm like do you sleep? <laughs> I sleep a lot. <laughs> you're like uh, very comfortable. Yes, exactly. <laughs> 10 o'clock. <laughs> dude that's freaking really freaking cool like i know manny had kind of like mentioned something like that and so like seeing like the whole list of like all these things that you do i was like 
damn, like she's freaking, she is the most interesting person, you, you know, like you are very, you, you, you do a lot of like awesome things and, you know, just like your whole presence and energy is like really awesome too. So, um, just looking at that list and then him telling me that I was like, Oh shit, like that is so amazing, you know, to like get people together. And it's like, I've always kind of like had like that similar style of like, you know, connecting with people. And I love like, Oh, you're really good at this. And you guys are, would be awesome. Like, you know, just talking together and having like the same kind of vision and stuff. So it's like, it's really cool to like have like a role model that like is, has been doing it and is doing it and just kind of being like, can I have some tips? Uh, <laughs> no, I believe it definitely takes one to know one. And San Diego is yeah a strong, you know, eclectic creative community. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Has there been anything that you're kind of like, this was, this has been one thing that does help me, you know, like any kind of advice for like community building or, you know, just getting people to work together. Do you have any kind of advice for that? Because I, I could take on, some. <laughs> I lean on that early step of community organizing and having those one-on-ones as a foundation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, personally, you know, as I said, I've, I'm not working with the Boulevard anymore. I'm consulting. And I think I've just learned that I like juggling different things and yeah. not sort of being boxed into, like, one group. You know, even though I did a lot of different things for the Boulevard, it was still just all about the Boulevard, yeah. you know? Um, I think that... Uh, yeah, once you put your time and, you know, build relationships into sort of one thing, it's it's a good offspring to take on more, you know, yeah. and be independent. Yeah, yeah, that's freaking awesome. I love that. Yeah. And enjoy community. You know, as I said, like, early on, I just, I connected with Golden Hill. It was a quick connection to get to know the baristas. I guess it wasn't too, you know, I really was like, I joked that when I moved from my apartment on twenty. 26 in Broadway, I couldn't move more than four blocks. <laughs> I just <laughs> loved this liquor store owner. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I wanted to always be close to him, something like that. But no, I like Golden Hill a lot. And, um, and then, yeah, just the charm of, like, getting, you know, yeah, our neighborhoods are great and they're thriving, but it's the personal connection, you know. And yeah. I feel there is um, a great story and relationship to be had with, all you know, so many business owners. So I definitely thrived by... Um, you know, feeling connected and building on that sort of trusting relationship with business owners. And I guess I just have a knack for that. So that's why I connect Mm -hmm. with communities, you know, throughout San Diego. I also really am passionate about going across the border and and seeing like the larger picture of our binational region. And, um, you know, almost like push myself to go down there. Not to say a push. I have many reasons now, Mm -hmm. but I still always want to stay connected and visit some of the, you know, I have a handful of friends, but like I really want to nurture those because, you know, I want to have that relationship with uh, Baja as well. Nice. I have a random question to kind of end it on, but Mm -hmm. because I saw you on on the bike here and I know you're passionate about bikes. So I just want to know, because I'm not very well informed about advisory bike lanes. Is it a good thing? or Advisory is it, bike lanes? Well, or, or just, um, I guess there was just recently on the on the news, there was, they, they were installing them in like Mira Mesa and all around uh, town where the bike, you know, the they were installing new bike lanes. So I, I is it is it a good thing or is it, I, <laughs> I, <laughs> um, I just question that because, uh, I think I just call them bike lanes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why I asked because we only know from what's on the news and everything like that. And they were kind of, you know, uh, portraying it as, oh, my goodness, this was going to make the traffic. So this and that. Yeah, but yeah, we yeah. thought it was a, a good thing. So it was like, what's the real story with yeah. it? Okay. The real story. What's the real yeah. story? Yeah, yeah, 
Uncut. <laughs> Uncut. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think um, allowing people to bike safely is a very good solution. Yes. Right? I don't think that should yes. be a question, you know. But it's unfortunate that it's a little bit of a battle because Southern California and Tijuana and most of the country was really developed around the automobile. But if you go to cities, well, you know, outside of our country, but even like um, New Orleans, the cities that are like th two, three hundred years old, those streets are much more narrow. So yeah. we've just been accustomed to these very wide streets. And um, yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't come with like seeing many people on bicycles or people walking around their neighborhood. I have felt like I need to lead by example, honestly, because yeah. one, it makes me feel better, mm -hmm. but also I think San Diego would feel better if more people were, you know, taking um, it into their own hands to really live more locally by walking and biking. And, um, but I know there's a fear factor because, you know, without, well, with very wide streets and um, not very walkable destinations or shade, no, 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 that people don't really, you know, see that opportunity at hand. Um, you know, I don't always lean on the bike lane to be like the number one answer to everything, you know, and I, I, I realize that uh, being part of like a bicycle advocacy world, and I actually do now serve on the Bicycle Coalition. Oh, nice. That, um, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not like a street, every street needs a bicycle lane, you know, Um I think every wide street <laughs> it could yeah. work in, you know, narrowing the street. Mm -hmm. That's one way of approaching making it a safer street. Um, but I kind of learned this uh, well through Alcohol Boulevard. We were we got this funding to take on like a uh, funding around a complete street. And really, one of my main drives on uh, working with the boulevard is that it was a six lane road, practically a ten lane road. If you wow. include like the turning lanes and the mm -hmm. parking lanes and then uh, that's something needed to be done about that, you know. And um, and also then it occurred to me that uh, there's this thing called Vision Zero that looks at like every city and where the most deadly, dangerous streets are. And El Cajon Boulevard was number two next to University Avenue. Wow. I was also like, I was lightly struck by a car. It you know nothing fatal, obviously, but I witnessed it. Hand yeah. No, I know if I, it occurred to me, it's occurring to a lot of people. And then this data report comes out about how many collisions and how many deaths. And then I plug into a Google, you know, um, uh, search where now I'm getting emails nearly every other week where someone was almost killed or you know. Uh, so I just know it to be so true that I became like, all right, something needs to happen. So yeah. any sort of grant funding or, you know, where we could advocate for uh, narrowing the street, um, you know, I was there to help lead. And uh, while there was so much pushback when we were talking about Little Saigon getting a bike lane, mm -hmm. uh, just initially, that um, it's almost like this grant funding and working with consultants went nowhere. And then after this grant came, uh, MTS, you know, the bus company, they're like, why didn't you ever consider that we're uh, about to invest in this bus rapid transit, like, but, uh, and build new bus stops and bring in new, unfortunately, they weren't bringing the dedicated bus lane at the time. But anyway, they were making a big investment on Alcohol Boulevard because mm -hmm. it's so much of a central, you know, corridor that it was taking people from downtown all the way to SDSU. That's like, all right, look at each, where, every neighborhood really where is, like, the priority outside of the automobile. Mm -hmm. I would say in San Ysidro, it's walking. You know, people walk across mm -hmm. the border yeah. and they do their shopping, na na na. Invest in, like, making the sidewalks wider or more places to sit, na na na. 
and then people, everybody will benefit, but at least move towards one of those directions mm-hmm. to make it, you know, more comfortable outside of just driving. Yeah. So that's where I like have navigated. So El Cajon Boulevard, the priority was the bus. And then we did advocate, all right, you've invested in the bus rapid transit, but you didn't give us a dedicated bus lane. And now there was more interest. And by the way, can you make it a bus bike lane? Because <laughs> where else are the bikes going to go otherwise? And yeah. we navigated that and we got both, you know? Nice. So ultimately, yeah, I think, uh, do some you know observational work community engagement i actually just did some community engagement in um imperial beach around uh, a bike lane project and they actually had already finished imperial beach boulevard narrowed the street enhanced the landscaping created more crosswalks did give it a green lane and people took to it you know of course they would it's a flat community (laughs) yeah (laughs) but has a you know right right on the beach so like that you know is a perfect project that also as we talked about this next leg of a bike lane that i could build on the conversation and most people were in favor of it you know so um yeah i don't really like to necessarily see the conflict that arises from this i'd really as an urban planner be in the direction of what the community wants so that supports you know like really investing some time in in the needs of the community hearing back from them but in some cases you really just need to be a leader and be like you know our goals are to bring down pollution to make our streets safer and this is what we're going to do and stand behind it yeah i did like i've watched new york city um set a goal of 50 miles of bike lanes per year and meet that i don't like how san diego just lingers no 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 so when you put like a little leg of a bike lane and doesn't connect anywhere where are we going with that nobody sees the ultimate vision but if there was a good route that gets you around all the old local neighborhoods through balboa park blah 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 you know we'd really have something substantial to stand behind Beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for answering yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Little curveball. <laughs> I love that. And you know what? It's so crazy because um, we used to be in Bankers Hill, and all of a sudden they did that whole like bike lane that goes all the way to Hillcrest. And I, uh, we were at the marketplace, and I was like, and it was like around like maybe four or five o'clock, and you're seeing everyone like you know riding their bike yeah. back up, and I was like. That is the fucking coolest thing, you know, like having like a designated like bike lane where it's like everyone's basically like I'm sure like during like the morning hours they're utilizing like because that was um, Fifth Ave. So they're utilizing Fourth Ave to go down to like downtown and then back up to. So I just thought that that was like the coolest thing because it's like you're right. Like if there's no if there's a bike lane, but it doesn't connect anywhere, then it's like, okay, so you're just riding this lane here. But it's like the whole thing of like actually being able to connect from one city to another and being able to go somewhere is awesome, you know. And I feel like that would encourage more people to like get on a bike and go somewhere because it's like I haven't well, rode a bike. Well, in every time your brother visits us, he starts at the harbor and he goes all the way down to the South Bay. I guess there's just a, a lane that. Oh he yeah, can I was just on that. It's beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it takes you from basically right here, uh, you know, where the trolley is in Barrio mm-hmm. Logan. You can get an awesome path that he takes you that. around the estuary and yeah. then up to Coronado. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's yeah, yeah. There are some good paths. Um, you know, like with the uh, the hill, I think the e-bike <laughs> yeah, that phenomenon yeah. is growing to make it yeah. even easier. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like the advocates around bicycling and urban planning in general have been pushing on this vision for a very long time. And like finally we're seeing you know overall a good network but there needs to be some gaps closed you know like you have the hillcrest route Mm -hmm. you have j street is great but it doesn't reach up to barrio logan to Mm -hmm. connect to 30th street you know so that's where i would like to push on things like just fill some gaps fill the gaps yeah yeah yeah. i love that i love that thank you thank you for coming 
bringing awesome yes, bread. Yes, breaking bread. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm and so just getting to know here. you. Yeah. Yeah. The most interesting woman in the world. In the world. <laughs> I can see the commercial. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're like holding a, a, a beer or, or some bread, bread or, or <laughs> some olive <Coffee>? oil. <laughs> or <laughs> we could market this differently. Yeah. <laughs> but you're awesome. Yes. And like, it was just like such an interesting conversation to have with you. And Thank just you. like getting to know you even like before, you know, like having like that, like uh, behind the scenes conversation is awesome. So Yeah, and yeah. I want to point out that it was very much directed at you guys yeah, because yeah, yeah. I really do admire how much leadership you've taken up in supporting this community. Yeah, of course, yeah. your business, you know, stands um, amongst all, but um, I mean, not to say amongst all, but it really is a beautiful example of local business and all yeah. that you're doing. But the fact that you are, do see the larger opportunity to unite yeah. your community and all that's come from, um, Logan Avenue and the events and honestly through COVID it was a fun place to hang out you know there was life here and um you know and the music and na 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 it's like really you could see uh, just in terms of me acknowledging where good things are happening in business districts this is you know unto itself really more grassroots and working out in a very positive way yeah awesome thank you thank you you. (laughs) it's like ninja turtles (laughs) yeah (laughs) thank you that was awesome claudia 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 what i'm listening to the voice of san diego podcast And it's getting really good. New episodes every Friday.